This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by VeriSign. Enter the Make Your Idea Internet Official Contest. Register a new .com domain name with the participating registrar during the contest entry period and enter for an opportunity to win up to $35,000. Learn more about the contest and its rules at verisigncontest.com. Welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Erica Dewan. She is a speaker, strategist, and co-author of a book we're going to talk about today called Get Big Things Done, The Power of Connectional Intelligence. Her co-author is Saj Nicole Joni. So, Erica, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, John. So I was not familiar with your work. I admit uh, there are a couple things that escape me out there, but uh, our good friend, mutual friend, Pam Slim, who I adore, uh, introduced us, and I'm so happy she did. Uh, well, it's so wonderful to be connected with you. I'm on the other side. I have been following your work, John, for many years, and so it's it's great to be here. Well, this idea, um, and and you know, there's a couple things that we can <laughs> break down. I always like to start with the titles a lot of times. Um, but this idea of connectional intelligence, obviously, we're probably going to want to say, what does that mean? Uh, but it's not a completely new idea, right? I mean, this is something people have actually been talking about. In fact, you cite a study, I think it was from the 40s. Yes, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> so, you know, a lot of the way that we often measure relationships, and we have been re- measuring relationships in the digital world, has been about quantity. So how many Twitter followers we have, how many Facebook likes. But in our book, Get Big Things Done, and our research on what creates connectional intelligence is that we're shifting that focus from quantity to quality. So building relationships that actually change people's lives, that create value or meaning, is about making smart connections, getting the right people together, collecting the important data, and using those resources in the smartest way. And and that in today's world, it's not about getting lots of connections anymore. Everyone is a connector. Um, and simply leading, building a network doesn't lead to measurable change. The key is how you use that network. And yeah. connectional intelligence is what we're describing as the skill that we all can develop to do this. So it's almost in some ways because I, th- I think there's a lot of blind connecting. I, I always used to uh, I laugh, uh, uh, you know, social, or, uh, Seth Godin who everyone knows, everyone loves, uh, is not particularly fond of social media, particularly in the connection way. He doesn't get on Twitter and tweet. He's not really on Google+, but he has accounts there. And I always thought it was very funny that that he has hundreds of thousands of followers on Google+, but he's never said a thing there. You know, he's never done anything there. And I think there's that just sort of blind connecting that, uh, that we all do. And I think what you're describing is something more akin to intentional connecting. Yes, yes. Um, Taking a a greater awareness and intentionality around how we connect to get big things done. And that's really the shift. It's, it's not what connections do I have, it's how do I put it to significant use in so, ways that really matter. So, so has something changed where this is now, people are becoming aware of this, or are you just suggesting that the, the time has come to change? Yeah, so, uh, you know, connectional intelligence isn't new. You know, many of the great leaders in history, whether it was Mahatma Gandhi or Albert Einstein, all used connectional intelligence, and oftentimes it was connectional intelligence that was mobilizing people or connecting two disparate ideas together. You know, Leonardo da Vinci is a good example of that. But today, the scale, depth, and breadth of our connection is yeah. radically different. And that scale has allowed, in this time in history, us to be ubiquitously connected, leading anyone 
really anywhere to combine to have different types of ways of bringing people together um, to mobilize resources through new avenues. And that has led to, I think, what I describe as a profound rise of connectional intelligence to anyone and everyone. Yeah, I think we're, we're seeing accidental examples maybe of it, of it happening, and that's uh, probably making the light bulb go on. Yes, yes. So are there, are there people, you cite lots of examples uh, in the book, but are there, are there people organizationally that are really doing this? I'm, I'm thinking of like Peter Diamandis XPRIZE uh, that, yes. that is kind of throwing out to the world, solve this big problem and we'll give you a bunch of money uh, to kind of try to motivate that idea of, of uh, collectional intelligence or connectional yeah. Yeah, so I think that there are organizations that are spawning and being um, born in the past five to ten years and, and that are harnessing the ideas of connectional intelligence. And remember that connectional intelligence is a human ability, right? So similar to emotional intelligence, um, organizations um, can build a culture of connectional intelligence through so the initiatives that they create for people to to be able to connect differently. Um, so XPRIZE, I think, is a good example of this in terms of their competitions and how they really ask the entire crowd to solve specific questions. But the thing is, is that connectional intelligence is not just about crowdsourcing. Um, the intentionality of what XPRIZE does is they, they not only ask a crowd a question, but they design the question in a way that people want to pitch in to solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, they also then, once they... Um, um, invest in, in certain projects, they really create small groups where interconnected thinkers come together to actually problem solve. So it doesn't just stop at scanning and sourcing ideas. It's really about from there, how do we create the small teams that get the big things done? Yeah. And, and I think it's understanding how to work at the crowd level, but also at the team level and the individual level and move across those spheres in a way, in a way that creates value. Would you say that there's some um, some maybe energy around this that has the roots in this sharing economy, I guess, that people call it, like the Airbnbs of the world, that people start seeing these connections and they work and, and they are scalable? Yeah, you know, I think the collaborative, the sharing economy is is an interesting model to think about when it comes to connectional intelligence, particularly, you know, people that have made their entire income now off of Airbnb right. uh, because they've developed this uh, this um, ability and this profile and recognition among that community because of what they've delivered. And I think, you know, where it plays into connectional intelligence is the idea of trust online is yeah. changing. Yeah. Um, and it is a lot around peer-to-peer social recommendations, you know, the way that we used to just trust an established brand like Goldman Sachs is not <laughs> the same way, you know, when, I mean, especially the next generation thinks about financial services, they're asking their friends. They're thinking about it in terms of a similar way of Yelp and Amazon reviews. And and I think that organizations can harness the mindset of connectional intelligence when they're thinking about engaging with customers, you know, making it open. I mean, one of the most powerful things about Uber is that the driver rates you and you rate the driver. So there's this two-way information flow. I don't know if you know that. You know, I didn't really pay any attention to that, but I'm really, I'm I'm such a... Uh, um, an enjoyable person to be with at all times. I'm sure right. I had a really great rig. <laughs> no, I hadn't really, I hadn't really even thought about that. That's well, one funny. One thing you can do is you can ask um, your Uber driver for your rating next time. Oh, that's funny. I, I've, I've been told my rating. I'm not going to disclose it though. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, what we're finding is that 
because of sort of this transparency that's more two-way, um, it's allowing for people to trust in different ways. Um, and I think that that is that is an element of how connectional intelligence will play into organizations. Um, but for many, you know, for many younger organizations, many that are starting in Silicon Valley now, I would say that a lot of them are thinking in this mindset already. But for mm-hmm. a lot of the Fortune 500s where I spend um, my days advising executives, you know, there's a huge challenge because a lot of these organizations were not set up um, in a way that enables certain types of connectional intelligence, which is whether it's cross-silo interaction yeah. or the gamification X-Prize mindset, um, or even just thinking about talent acquisition beyond just going to 20 top schools. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're seeing a huge frontier when it comes to online knowledge networks and online courses like edX and mm-hmm. MOOCs and Coursera, where we can find great talent to solve problems, whether they work inside our company or not. Well, and you know, it's interesting, though, um, as I listen to you talk about that, I think some of those very companies actually are fighting this in a way, right? I mean, think about all the scientists that... uh uh, that that are their their whole goal in life is to make a discovery and to get that discovery published and and heaven forbid they would actually share that with other scientists because then they wouldn't get the credit for the innovation. Yeah, I mean, I would say that like any capacity rise, um, there are shifts and disruption that happens of industries. I mean, the book marketing industry is an example as yeah, well. Of course, um, that you know well, of course, John. But I. You know, I I think the scientist example is is a very good one and a very, you know, important one. Um, You know, there are researchers that study concepts for years only to get published in Nature or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. Um, And, you know, I think one of the best ways to think about this is that that model is still continuing to some level, but there are ways actually to get published faster and to solve problems in, um, in unique ways. One of the stories we feature in our book is the story of um, Colgate. Um, and a few years ago, they had a big science problem. They had a fluoride that they had developed, and they were trying to mesh it with their toothpaste. And, and there was something wrong with the mechanical flows, and it was getting stuck and not mixing well. So all the best chemists internally at the company were trying to figure it out. Nobody could. And after um, a bit of time, they decided to post the question in an anonymous way on an inventor's, scientist inventor's site called Innocentive. Huh. And a few days later, a physicist um, named Ed Melkerick, a, a guy living in Canada who you know, even said to me in the interview that he wouldn't have gotten a job at Colgate, solve the problem. He was a, a physicist and he realized that it wasn't a chemistry problem. It was a physics problem. It was about charged particles, charge the fluoride, charge the toothpaste instantly was solved. And so what it's actually enabling is, you know, it, it's allowing us to solve problems more quickly through a wider set of people. Um, but it's allowing those that traditionally wouldn't get hired through the traditional mm-hmm. mechanisms to actually solve, be part of the problem solving. Um, and I think that's going to change HR and talent in the future in many industries, whether it's science or um, marketing or, or even um, consulting. You know, and, and I love that example because um, I think that probably initially people tend to think about solving social problems and, and obviously – a great use for what you're talking about, but I think you can also bring it down to the company level and, and just as you said, solve hiring issues, uh, knowledge issues, you know, just get a, a, a very specific problem solved. I mean, that's a really powerful example. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, while we are seeing like any disruption, there will be, you know, some frustration and challenge across industries. I think we're also seeing an opening that will accelerate problem solving and accelerate fields in many different ways. All right. Well, I'm going to charge into that opening then and ask you if I'm a, if I'm a listener and some of these ideas, uh, obviously, I'm going to tell you, go pick up the book uh, first to get the full uh, flavor of what we're talking about today. But some of these ideas resonate. Um, what are some ways, simple ways that people can get started uh, with this idea, start even noticing it, start you know, shifting a little bit, uh, start maybe uh, implementing it? Yeah, I would say, no, there's three things that I think to get to kick off and sort of activate your connectional intelligence. Um, the first is to really be more intentional about opening yourself up to new people and ideas, whether it's different cultures, different backgrounds, different disciplines. Um, so go sit, go sit at a different lunch table. Is that what you're saying? It, well, it could be that it could be, <laughs> um, reading a different type of news than you normally read. So yeah. if you read the wall street journal every day, maybe it's, three hashtags on Twitter that you might want to start following related to your industry, but through a new medium or, um, to YouTube, um, legends that, you know, share YouTube videos every month, whatever it might be. Um, I think the second is about making connections and partnerships that you truly care about. So, you know, this isn't about getting obsessed with how many Twitter followers you have or how many views a video gets. It's, it's about, really focusing and thinking about what you truly value and making connections around that. I mean, we have a story in the book about a woman named Jeannie Peeper who created a, a network. Um, she, Jeannie had a very rare disease called FOB, and she created a knowledge network of patients around the world with this rare disease. And um, this network, when combined, and they were combined really because they cared about the illness, but when combined, they became a network that's now teaching doctors how to better diagnose the illness and funding medical research for a rare disease that typically wouldn't get funded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, oftentimes when you combine the right people, you you may see results that you never would have even imagined. And I think the third key thing that I would urge each reader to think about is to think, understand and leverage what you already know, what skills you already have. So, you know, it's not about coming up with a multi-million dollar idea. Um, yes, that would be great, but it's more about thinking about where your passion lies and what already exists, and and how how, how various other people might be able to leverage your skill set in a way um, to advance their goals. So, as I listen to you talk about those three things, if I'm the individual, I'm the owner of the business. Great advice, but probably to have its greatest uh, impact uh, would be to actually make that uh, that cultural shift for yes. everybody on the team, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things we have in the book is a connectional intelligence uh, quiz and a manager guide where um, anyone can do an assessment of themselves and how they're using this, but do a team sort of assessment to think about how different people on a team are leveraging these ideas and how we can actually enable each other to right. do it all in service of the business goal. Yeah, in fact, in some ways, that's that's the the ultimate start. Uh, you're you're creating connectional intelligence internally. Yes. Uh, and it. and so this guide, actually, you were telling me off air, uh, is something that people can acquire. Yes. Tell us how. So um, the 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 team guide, or yeah, or just any of the resources you talked about uh, that are available by uh, uh, via text. Yeah. So the um, I was you know a special 
specific team work plan and guide and assessment um, that those listening today can check out. If um, they send a text, if you send a text message to the number six six eight six six with my name Erica, that's E R I C A. I'll send you the details where you can access the free assessment and um, team guide to run sort of a mini workshop on how to leverage connectional intelligence. So it's Erica to, to what's the short code again? 66866. Awesome. Um, there's a couple uh, elements that, uh, again, we're, we're just scratching the surface here, but uh, you have an entire chapter on this idea of, of making a game out of it, um, so to speak. And I love that. Um, I do think that there's no question that the power of gamification is so, so if, if in trying to collect, get people on the team, so to speak, to play, um, you know, the X prize uses money maybe as, as the, the contest. Um, but, uh, um, what are some ways that, uh, that you can make this a game that people want to play? Yeah. So, you know, what we realize is that connectional intelligence isn't just about sharing ideas, data, and problems with lots of people. It's about the ability to design problems in such a way that many people will want to pitch in to solve them. So we have an entire chapter that really looks into that um, and the ideas around gamifying um, and and definitely, I would say, beyond monetary um, rewards. Uh, One of my favorite stories in the book is about The Guardian. And a few years ago when um, there was a release of... um, British MPs expense reports through a Freedom of Information Act. There was a release of millions of documents of uh, British MPs um, and their expenses. And there were millions of documents and um, really led by one man, Simon Willinson at The Guardian. What he did is he said, well, why don't we actually make this engaging for our readers to siphon through these documents to see what story we want to tell? So what he did is he created a game-like tool on the Guardian interface that allowed any reader to almost um, to go through the expense reports online through a searchable database and choose, is this interesting or is this not interesting? Almost like a left swipe, right swipe. Yeah. And then what he did is he created top engagers and, and shared their names and profiles. He had pictures of all the MPs and he had a progress bar on top. <laughs> so people felt like from their laptop, they were part of this broader community. And what ended up, ended up happening is that he and his team... Uh, engaged 20,000 Guardian readers to review over 170,000 documents in four days. And the entire cost of the operation was 50 British pounds. <laughs> and, and I'm sure I'm, I'm thinking of people sitting around uh, having their tea, uh, yes. dis- discussing it. Yes. Too, yeah. And so, you know, what they created was this viral conversation yeah. um, by engaging people to actually help them write the story. And I think that the key there was about making it fun and yeah. making it engaging. Uh, and I think that that model can be used in many different arenas to solve business challenges and beyond. Probably didn't hurt that people were hoping they would find some scandalous uh, content in there too, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think, you know, going through expense reports could be really boring and they made it fun, which is, you know, if you can make that fun, um, there's a lot of other things you can make engaging. So one of the things we were talking about off air, and we'll, I, I, I have a tendency to end on what, what are potentially negative notes, and I don't, uh, I don't think it will there because I think you have a good uh, uh, sense of this. But So let's say, um, you know, we've been talking about innovations at a company or getting your internal team you know, together. But let's say we have a really big idea that, that 
we want to bring social change or we want to change an entire industry. Uh, and we put that out there and, and it starts uh, take, taking hold and starts getting grounded. And all of a sudden, maybe our business or our goals or our objectives really get kind of driven by the community now as opposed to, hey, I'm, you know, I'm just putting in my time. I'm going to retire in five years, but I had this big idea um, and now it's become bigger than me. I mean, is that, um, is that potentially a, a scary thought um, from, you know, the, the, when somebody, so something can ultimately scale uh, like this? You know, I think it de- might depend on the person um, and any capacity like this, like connection intelligence, like certain technologies we have can be used in great ways and can, you know, go, it can, can be destructive also. And yeah, so there's Yeah, because no what's interesting is it's probably not that much different than what Adolf Hitler used to, to some degree. I mean, yeah. uh, so, I mean, I think that's a, to make that point, I think. Yes. And I think, you know, the reason we wrote this book is because we see this profound force and, and it's true, you know, most of the stories in our book is really around how it's being used as a force for good. Of course. And I think that's what we're trying to showcase, but, but there's no denying that it can be used for great evil. And I think our goal in the book is really to help bring people's awareness up so that we can all use it in, in, in hopefully the best ways yeah. possible. And, and I wasn't suggesting um, um, that. I was suggesting more that, you know, once you put an idea out there and once you invite the, 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 the community to be a part of it, it's, it's no longer your idea per se. And, and yeah. how it ultimately yeah. unfolds now is out of your control. And that's the part I think I, could be scary for people. Yeah, got it. Um, yeah. I think that's very true. Um, and at the same time, I think with the rising new generation, yeah. it's actually, it's something that is sort of more, I, I, I won't generalize, but more normal or commonplace. Meaning if you think yeah. about the notion of intellectual property, so, yeah. you know, co- high school coders are all sharing code online yeah. and the, the idea um, and mindset is shifting. And obviously if you're running a multi-billion dollar organization, I, you know, I understand that there's clear lines, mm-hmm. um, but but there are shifts happening, um, and I think that we'll begin to see more and more of it with the up-and-coming generation entering the workforce. Yeah, and I think there's much um, there's much more of a, here's the objective. It doesn't really matter how we get there, I mean, to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Erica, thank you so much for joining me. I, I really look forward to seeing uh, this book and this idea spread, and uh, um, hopefully we'll run into you uh, out there on the road. Great. Thanks so much for having me, John. You know, um, one thing we did, we did leave the text number, but is there a website you want to send folks to as well? Yes. Um, I can be found at ericadewan.com, E-R-I-C-A-D-H-A-W-A-N.com, or tweet me at edewan. Um, and also you can check out more about the book at getbigthingsdone.com. Awesome. Take care. <laughs>